Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Before we introduce our next episode, just to ask you for a small favour, I really appreciate the hours that some of you are investing into watching the podcast that we've done in the past, but I'd like to ask you to do me one favour that would take you seconds. If you enjoy the show, please hit the subscribe button, and if you enjoy any show in particular, please click on the thumbs up. It'll make a massive difference to the podcast. So thanks very much for your continued support, feedback, and I hope you enjoy this one. Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of the podcast and this uh, episode is brought to us by Gemmel's Van Sales down in Kilmarnock who have been kind enough to help some sponsorship, um, the used car, uh, uh, sorry, a used van dealer um, with stock of about 60 to 70 vans and been looking at their stock, talking to Jim the owner, uh, good people and good selection of vans if any of you need it, I'll put a wee link in the comments for anybody that wants to check their stock. So um, on with our guest today, fantastic uh, guest for you again. Um, thanks very much for coming in, Bob Malcolm. How are you, Craig? I'm very well, mate. Yourself? Good, good. A bit cold this morning. Oh, it's freezing. <laughs> getting I've got shorts on as well. I noticed that when you came <laughs> in. I thought you must have left the house in July. <laughs> so, uh, Bob, uh, thanks very much, as I say, for coming on to the, the podcast. It's been uh, great to support with the, the guests with Adon coming on. So, thank you very much for doing that. Um, and I'd like to just go through your life and career just in chronological order. It's the most uh, logical way and tries to you know keep keeps things simple for for us um so um where were you born brought up and what was your early football look like yeah uh, well born born in Bristol, Brighton, uh for the first couple of couple of years and then moved to denison and then denison to spring Morgan, and that's where i've been well my family's been ever since uh then got to football started playing in the school with my pals obviously in the playground and that and then uh, I, I don't know I went my first club was Blue Star but I don't really know how, how I ended up there I don't know if it was someday in the school played for them or whatever and then I just tagged along and I uh, just went for there basically uh, Blue Star there up in Easterhouse aren't they? Uh, I, I seen Derek's podcast and I seen he, I think there was two different ones mine was Rikese, right. the Hubbard Rikese, uh 
which made it a wee bit difficult for me because I was for Springboy and they used to fight with Cran Hall, so I had to try and sprint through the up the street past them all before I could get training. But uh, no, that was that was a good days and some great great club. I don't know even know if they're still going. I know the hub not still there, but uh, no, it was a great club, great people. What age would you have been when you started getting involved with organised football? That must have been must have been early doors, Craig. Uh, uh, I can remember playing. Obviously, with that bit of strength, eleven aside, it was near like sevens and nines back then. Uh, so it must it must have been before I was ten because I got picked up with Rangers when I was ten playing for Blue Star. So it must have been eight or nine, maybe ten. And what age were you when you got under the radar with, uh, with Rangers? That was at ten. Ten. Uh, we played. We played a game against uh, Rangers Boys Club in a cup game, uh, and the bar is ten now. Or ten one, sorry, and I scored the goal, and played well in the game, and then got picked up in that during that game, uh, and then got asked to come in and train twice a week with them. That's how it started. It's a fair commitment for you were ten, and who, back in your sort of ten, eleven, twelve year old, um, what sort of players were playing me at the time? Any of them going to make a grade? Uh, Blue star, no, no really. Uh, it was mostly scheme boys that. And then they ended up going and doing their own thing. Uh, but when we went about to Rangers, it was like the boys like Peter McDonald, Steve McAdam, Kirk Willoughby, uh, Big Mark Brown would have been there. Greg was a wee bit later. Uh, so good good group, good group of players. And they all came through the system together. And where were you training and playing at the time? What, what facilities were they using? They used to train at the... Uh, community centre across North, oh, the community centre across the road Firebrook. So we'd go there on a, maybe a Tuesday and a, a Thursday. Uh, and then again, you'd see it was a great experience because we used to get like Johnny Hubbard, old David Wilson. They used to be, they were always there. And then they would come out and speak to you. And, and probably we'd never even really knew who they were at that point. Uh, and then as, when you get on in life, you go, ah, fuck, say that boy used to sit with us and like gaze his time, talk, talk to us and stuff. Uh, so it was a great experience. And then S Forms, was that still a thing at the time? Yeah, S Forms. So we, we probably, I think S Forms was classes when you were in training with Rangers Tuesday, Thursday. That's what that was basically classed as an S Form. And I don't really, I don't know if you'd be signed in. So we used to play on a, a Sunday. So we, we would play with school teams on a Saturday morning. Then uh, Blue Star, started off Blue Star uh, Saturday afternoon. And then I ended up going to Rangers Boys Club, so then we played for them on a Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, and then it would be Rangers Select on a Sunday. So we're playing two, two, three games every weekend uh, and training. And then obviously you progress, you through down to the ground staff, I'd imagine it's an apprenticeship type thing um, before you become a professional. So when did that happen for you around about what, 16? Uh, I was a wee bit earlier. I remember uh, going into the uh, doing work experience at school and uh, I asked if I could go into Rangers and they said no problem. So I got a, a week's work experience. Uh, but I can always remember, I think that must have been 15. And uh, Pierre McDonald, he was, he was always like up there, One of the, he's one of the best players that I played with when I was a, like, younger. And uh, I can remember he got brought into playing, it was a old firm game at Ibrox and it was on Sky. Uh, sorry, Parkhead, and he went through and goal, and he like, flicked, and a mad flick, and ended up, you know, the goal and getting in. And uh, I remember him running away celebrating and thinking, I want to be part of that, I want, I want to be like that. 
and uh, and then a couple of weeks later, I was at the both of us went in at the same time. He went in two weeks before me, and then I went in two weeks after him. So, so that, a, that was the start at fifteen. I think. You're a Rangers fan. <clears> that's <throat> fair to say. Um, you're playing with Rangers a few years. At, you know, um, the, um, kids for youth football. See when you get told we want to sign you. How's that news delivered and what's going through your head at that time? It's it's a nightmare. I can understand where kids and parents know they don't they don't want to like their kids just football and that's it. When I was growing up I just wanted to play football. I didn't have a I didn't care about any other uh any other work. And to be fair, I was lucky my head teacher, he was a Rangers fan. And he knew, so he he kind of a pushed me and he, like, he knew that I wasn't like, sticking in at school. Uh, but it was, I can remember, because at that time it used to be going to Ibrox up into the like, the manager's room, sign your contract, and then uh, you were buzzing, you could take your family and that. And, but it never handled that for me, because the day that I was going to sign, Rangers had a game, so the manager and that wasn't there. But I was like, I couldn't give a shit, I was going in, I was making sure that contract was signed, so I think Bomber, Bomber done it for me. Uh, but it was a foul getting into the like the Walter's office downstairs, coming into the room and like you, oh you and all your teammates are there. So there's maybe fifteen years waiting to go in and see Bomber and John McGregor, and then they give you the, like that. Yeah, right, we're about to sign you. And you're like, fuck, fuck, man. it's just like a weight off your shoulders. But then obviously everybody was in the look at that. There was maybe we had a good a good group, so maybe about ten. Ten years all get signed and they let some go. But, uh, you know, it's, it was never wrong. And is this a 15 going on 16 years? Yeah, that would have been, even though I was in a wee bit earlier, the, the contract wasn't signed until you were 16. Yeah. So I probably had that wee bit of, like maybe four months or something ahead of the boys where I was in training full time. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, you know, probably a funny thing to think of now, but can you remember the, the, the amount of money per week at the time when you were signed that first thing? I kind of was, uh, the first year was 6250 was it 6250 or £62. Then the second year apprentice was 8250 but you got travelling expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, everybody everybody was on the same, so it didn't matter if you were the best player or the worst player, you were still getting the same money. And then de- depending how far you lived away, your, your travelling expenses. So so when you're, when you're 16, <clears throat> was that a two-year contract? Two-year, yeah. And then you're basically, you know, between now and eighteen, I really need to, need to show here and, and and get on about it. So, what was what was that next next couple of years like between, you know, between sixteen and eighteen, and, and getting to the point where you're signing up, you know, a proper that's it, you know, yeah. about three years contract. Well, it was good because obviously you're on you're on even though you're playing, you're you're doing a job, you're you're kit man, you're the foot boy, you're you've got a job, so you need to be in there eight o'clock in the morning. If your late bombers got you in the treadmill or the their own machine for half an hour or an hour punishment. So everybody was bang on, used to always wear a shirt and tie. Uh, same as the first team. Yeah, you had to be at it or, or Bomber wasn't scared to just say, right, you're not good enough, on you go, even if it was two months into your contract. A few boys get let go straight away. Because uh, you, you can't, you can't, some people can't handle it. Because you're, you're, no, you're, no you're not getting told what to do day in, day out. And then as soon as your people's on your case, and some people crumbled, yeah. uh, and some people right roast it and, and got through it. So, Bomber mentioned was uh, the youth team coach at the time. Is that when him and John McGregor worked together? Yeah. Was that about the same time? 
I think a lot of people forget or don't realise that the Bomber was a coach. He went on to manage as well, uh, Dundee and whatever, um, later on. Most people remember him for obviously his playing days and some people remember him for you know, the protesting stuff and standing up against Craig White and one thing or another. But what was it what was he like as a coach? One was brilliant. He was brilliant. Uh, obviously played the same position as me, so he helped helped me along. Me and Morris Ross, big Andy Debbie. They would take us to like sessions ourselves and stuff. Uh but he also had that bit about him where he knew what it he knew what it took to be like that, that level to go to the first team. And uh, even to play in the reserves when we were in, in the youth team, you had to be better than everybody else because at that time you had Durante, Charlie Muller would probably have been still playing in the reserves at that time. Coffee, Stuart McCall, if you're coming back for injury, you played in the, you played in the reserves. And uh, you try to get in that team because it was, it was a big squad and uh, that, that was a good thing as well. You were playing with these guys. Even though you're 16, you're playing with Durante when he's coming back for his knee injury. Uh, getting to experience what it's like. And did you go straight into the reserves after signing your first apprentice contract, or did that take a wee bit of time? Uh, I didn't go straight in. We, we played, because obviously you've still got, when you sign in 16, you've still got apprentices that are there been the year before you. So they're a year ahead, so they're they're playing in the youth team and the reserves. Yeah. And then you're coming in trying to just get into the, the youth team. But I think for, for, for a few years, it maybe took us a couple of months, and then... Like, cause I was I went in, like started as a striker, but end up midfield and then back centre half, and then when I played with reserves, I was playing as like a right wing, but wing, uh, sorry, right wing back, cause Bomber Bomber and that were playing, he was still playing at that point, mm. so they would play three to back, and then I would play right wing back, and uh, getting to like what you said earlier, you're getting to learn different uh, positions, so it was good for me, but uh, I'd say it was the same, but you, you can you. Yeah, rise up to it, even though Bomber was hard, he was brilliant and he was fair with everybody. I think because of his playing time and then, you know, the time he's, he's done with sort of protesting and, and uh, stuff, people don't appreciate how a knowledgeable coach um, Bomber is. Any but time you know, I talk to him, you know, tactics and coaching and, you know, I just pick everybody's brains because, you know, you know say I run a kids football club, so for me it's just, it's great talking to people yourself that, you know, um, been in the game at a, a great level and I think he's, he's underestimated to be fair as a coach um, do you agree with that but you know you, you get better to, to, to gauge that 100%, than me you're coach 100%, man 100% I think like yeah, I don't get the credit if you think when, when he was a coach the youth team him and John McGregor how many players actually came through at that point loads and they might only have played two games or three games but there was loads of players that came through under them uh, and, that, and that's what it was it was a coaching it wasn't a like, they don't have curriculums now where you need to work on this for a month, you need to work on that for a month. If you were shy at defending, then you worked on defending, and then you went forward for there. And that's what, that was a good thing. Uh, and it's something that doesn't happen now. Do you think, and no disrespect to anybody that's a youth team coach just now, but do you think we've got enough of John Browns and Ian Durant's and people with yourself that have got, you know, 100 plus game experience, he's playing for Rangers and to a certain extent, know what it's all about. Don't it's not just thinking and know what it's all about. Do you think we've got enough of that just now? I don't think so, no. I don't think we've had enough of it for, for years. Uh, <clears throat> and I understand that they've got a, they've got a system in place where 
they like to do their own thing. They've got curriculums now, what I said, uh, and, they, and they stick to that. So they, they've got coaches in that they think they can that can do that the best. But I think you need, even if it's not a coach, even just to be somebody to bounce off. Because mm-hmm. I know that Bomber's been in and spoke to kids. Mm-hmm. He was telling me a story yesterday where that, it was the time in Billy Gilmore that was there. And, and he speak to them. And uh, he said to them, how, how many are going to play for the first team? One one player put his Stop hand up. It. One one player. And Bomber went to battle the other fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. <laughs> One player puts his hand up, and it was, it was Bully Gilmore. And he ended up saying to them, what is the point of you being here if you don't think you can get into the first team? Mm-hmm. He says, in fair play to that, that, wee, that boy, he says for putting his hand up because he knows he knows now that when you go into the dressing rooms, they're going to rip the show on. Mm-hmm. He says, yeah. fair play to him for actually putting his, putting his hand up. Look where he is now. That, that's a weird thing because it must have been a fair group of you if it's one squad. You're talking about <clears> 16, 18 players. And uh, so maybe they thought at 14 or 15, whatever age they were, then... Well, they, well, at that point, is that's they made it? Is that maybe with a lot of young footballers are today? I, I think so. I, I think that was something back in the day as well. I think if you were, no, no, so much you made it, but like when you actually did make it, it wasn't a, a big, massive thing because you, you're you're in the system, and even though you're 16, you're you're playing with 18, 19, 20 year olds, and then obviously the adults when like they were playing the reserve games, so yeah. you don't, they don't get that exposure now. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit scary that uh, you think I you know I live a club like Rangers, but um I've been fortunate in the last couple of years that I've been out to Benfica and Real Madrid and these places where club uh, with kids. And the one thing that got me is when you look at the guys that are involved with all their youth teams, the vast, vast majority of them are ex players of their clubs. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't mean, you know, if you're a coach that didn't play for a Rangers or Real Madrid or Benfica that you're not a good coach. But these clubs it's institutional clubs, as it, it were. They're different. Rangers are different for Dundee United. It's different for Hibs and Hearts. It's just, that's just a fact. Yeah. There's no point in debating that with anybody. Um, your Real Madrid and Benfica, they're different level clubs as well. And I think you, not only do you need to have a good understanding about football, it helps to have a good understanding of that club, the ethos of the club, the history of the club. And, you know, I thought Benfica was some set-up, and you know, they are, Um then we went to Real Madrid a couple of months ago, and it's just a different level again. And if it's good enough for Real Madrid and Benfica, then why is it not good enough for Rangers? And I think there are some very good guys involved in the Rangers youth set up now, but it's just something that I think's uh, missing. But um, when 
when you made that first step up to play for the reserves, can you remember who who was um, in the, the Rangers team at the time? Yeah, I remember it was uh, Anthony Emmy was in goals. Uh, Bomber was playing. Gordon Petric. Uh, it was Big Scott Wilson. Uh, I think the Stolly Stensas. Yeah, that, the yeah. Uh, Stuart McCall, Charlie Muller, Durante. Uh, Bomber ended up getting goals because Anthony would get injured. We didn't have a sub goal, so he ended up getting goals. Uh, Is any good? He was alright, eh? He was alright. Uh, but that was, that was my first reserve game and just an eye opener. And they're playing against. It was, it was Hearts we were playing at, at Bathgate. And you're playing against guys that play for their first team. So it's not as if you're playing somebody at your own age, yeah. which is, again, an eye-opener because you're thinking, watching these guys in the telly all the time, and then you know you're playing against them. In what position did you play that day? Right, right wing back. Did you start the game? Start, aye. And um, see, see that team? <laughs> see any other uh, game run about that time? If you if that was a range of starting 11, they would really raise an eyebrow at half of their names. No, Incredible, they, wasn't they, it? they were playing... Short McCall, he maybe had a he was out for two or three months with a knee injury, and then he came back two games in the reserves, and then he was back in the first team. Mm-hmm. It was the same. All, all the players, Gordon Petrich, maybe have been suspended or something, Aye. playing in the reserves just to get his match fitness, then back in the first team. So the one yeah. there was players that weren't like just squad players. That they said these were guys that were starting all the time. Yeah, yeah. And did they learn much during that process? Uh, that's how I think. That's how you learn. You learn the game. You learn more about the club, more about you, because you're. Scared wee boy, do you know what I mean? Playing with the first team, you don't want to shout at them. But then Bomber says, I got you if you're, if you're not doing it. So you end up, you do it. Because used to be, there used to be an unwritten rule in training. That you can't tackle the first team. You don't, you can't smash, smash some of that in training. So you, you're only tackling them. And uh, then Bomber's like, no, that, that rule's out the window now. If you're in playing, then you're, you're tackling. So, but... <laughs> They didn't like it. The first team they like it if a young a young boy was taking the ball off them or tackling them. But that was just one of the things. So between making your debut for the reserves would have been about the sixteens and a half ish. When did what age were you when you made your first team debut? Uh, I think it was late seventeen. It must have been eighteen. It maybe eighteen. Uh, but I played in a. I remember going to a reserve. No, a reserve game. It was a. It was a game at Christmas when the, like now you see all the pitches used to be frozen and stuff. And uh, Walter managed to get a, a game against Ray Rovers. But at that time, used to get, the youth players used to carry the, like the hampers mm-hmm. and stuff. So I, I, helped, I was helping with Jimmy Bell that day. And uh, Archie said to me, like, bring your boots now. You can go and do the warm-up and kick, have a kick about. <clears throat> and uh, I, I went out and done the warm-up and they came back in and done the team talk. And he's like, right, you're, you're, you're playing. And I'm like, What? <laughs> I played right back, and uh, that was an eye opener because that was like loud up. Now that we're playing in Gaza, uh, it was a lot of mix of the first team and a couple of the younger boys. And uh, I remember I was playing against Kevin Todo, oh. and he was absolute rapid. And uh, they were just putting the boy on my head for the first ten minutes, and he was sprinting on and they crossed into the box, and the goalie was in goals, and he's, he's shouting at me, "For fuck's sake, Bob! I'm like, what you want me to do? He's fucking faster than me." And, uh, for after 10 minutes, he came out and he's, he's put his son on my shoulder and he's went like, listen, see the next time he gets the ball to his feet, smash him. And I went, right, so I smashed him. And then uh, he's like, that's what you do, you can't no come near you again now. <laughs> I'm like, brilliant. But then it got to half time and I, and I was struggling. It was, I was too, it was, the level was too good. 
even in that, Kevin Todd, I don't even know about, I know he played with Motherwell in that, but I don't know what division Ray Flores were in at that point. If they were in the Premier League or if they were in the First Division. And uh, he was just, he was too good for me at that, that point. And then obviously what one actually seen that and they, they took me off at half time. Uh, but what an experience being in the dressing room and, and seeing all the guys, how, how it works. And was that long before you made your first first, um, yeah, that was, first team proper? That was probably a good year and a half or something before that. that so you must have been 16 then, eh? I was, well, I was maybe just turned 17. But it wasn't, it wasn't expected. But that's, that's what used to do. It used to throw people in. Well, right. Um, so, you know, you're, you're playing with the reserves, youth team, um, training all the time with the first team, getting flung in at Rafe Rovers and that sort of stuff. Did you have any like, trips and stuff like that to that age? Could tournaments going away? Was that a thing back then? Aye, we went. Bomber took us to Australia, took us to Chile, Seb Rosenthal. Played a couple of, like, a, like, a wee mini tournament. Uh, unbelievable place. And to be fair, Seb's dad was, was minted and they looked after us. Uh, but I can remember going to, we went to Australia, we played against the Australian national team twice. And Northern Spirit, we played against them. Mm-hmm. So we were only kids, we were, we were in the youth team. And uh, it was playing against theirs, under 20s, and then Northern Spirit's first team. And that's when the club put the, like, the link with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I kind of got, got noticed a bit, because we were trying to sign a boy that played for Australia. A big boy, I can't remember his name, Bojic or something. He played with, he played for a team in Croatia, Croatia Zagreb or something. Yeah. And they were trying to sign him. And then Bombers came back after that tournament and says, look, we've just seen him and we've seen Bob playing. And Bob's ahead of him just now for us. And that's when I came back for that tournament, that's when I got pushed into the first team and training with Dick Advocate and that. That's incredible. So at this time, I think your age and what year it would have been, who, who was it? Uh, Walter Smith was the first team manager at the time. No, he was, Walter had left at that point. So right. that was, that Dick had just come in. Yeah. Uh, so that was uh, that was just early early on in his. Was that a culture shock when the little general turned up? Ah, uh, well, it, not, nothing really changed for us because he was just he was more involved in the first team and never really took more, uh, anything to do with us. The first team had when the training ground was built, the first team went there, but the, the reserves still we only get changed there, and then we still had to go and train at Jordan Hall or West of Scotland or wherever. So they they were apart for us, and that was the drive because you wanted to be there. And, and Dick was good that way because he used to he kind of played with your head a wee bit. So he would maybe take me training Monday, Tuesday, and then he would leave you back on the Wednesday when you think to yourself, I'm going to train the first team today. And then he would go like, like Andy Dewey, you're training me as a day. So that way it kept you hungry. And he'd done that way. It was, it was mostly at that point, it would have been me. Uh, Morris Ross was involved. Uh, big Andy Dewey used to train with him. So it was about four or five as they would bring up to train, depending on what position they needed. And you know, that's what kind of gives you the drive to get in. And who, so who, who's you, is Bomber still there at the time? Aye, Bomber's still, he's still the reserve manager and youth coach, so they, they were still there. Uh, John McGregor was still there. And they brought in, like, Jan Dirks was head of youth. Uh, Tommy, oh, it's Tommy Sengen, played with the his brother was the Dundee United. Oh, McLean. Like Tommy McLean, I he came in, he, he came in to take the eighteen. Sorry, and Bomber stepped up to the reserves in twenty ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, 
So you're doing all right, you've progressed a bit for your first interaction with Rangers, you're now um, 18, 17, 18 year old and you get the, the nod one day you're, you're going to be playing for the first team, you're in a squad, what, what happened there? Well, the rule changed, didn't it? The under, it was brought in the under-21 now. So... Is that three in the bench or something? Or three two, in the squad? Two, two in the bench. They had to have two under-21s in the bench. But that, you could involve a goalkeeper. So, at that point, Barry Nicholson was still eligible. They brought in the boy Luigi. Uh, I can't remember his second name. Rico? Riccio? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Gattuso's assistant manager. Yeah. They brought in him. <clears throat> so it was between, there was a rotated about four or five is. Uh, so that got you involved. And then just through that, you were, you'd never think you were getting a game. And then Dick threw me on one night at Ibrooks, playing Dundee United. And then uh, played a few games of that season. Then you, you get a taste for it. And then that's when we used to have numbers on with, with jumpers. And the first team had their, their initials. Mm -hmm. And then you go into, like you're coming into training and you're an issues on your tap. No, that was, it was brilliant for me having that, but uh, you kind of you look too much in it because then you start thinking, oh, that's me made it. And, yeah. But to be fair, Dick put me in my place because I got caught. That was that was near the end of the season. I played the games, three or four games in a row. And then we had a break for the, the summer and I got caught playing in a five-side tournament. And Dick said to me, you're finished. Make sure you're done. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, you can't kind of play in tournaments like that. And uh, I went, I, they sent me on, my agent got me a trial with Wigan to play in a game. It was, I think it was for Clyde Bank. Derek Ferguson, that was the manager at the time. <clears throat> so I went down and played in that game. Done well. And then Paul Joe was the manager of Wigan. He said to me, we can't, well he didn't say to me, he said to my agent, he said, we, can't, we don't want to sign you because you play too much football. And that was at Wigan at the time of the championship and League One and that was just long ball. Right just but like we are no looking for that sort of centre half. I was like, fine, so I ended up I had to go back to Rangers. And uh, luckily for me, Dick had a bad spell. And uh, that's when he left and Ballet came in and I got my chance again. But during that summer, were you basically <clears throat> touting yourself to other clubs and just try to get a move because of what he told you? No, oh, no, it was it was uh, I never really knew what was happening because it was like the middle of pre-season or the middle of your break and uh, I didn't know anything until I went back I went back and then Bombers like you need your training you're, you're not training with the first team now you're training with the, the reserves again and then uh, never really heard that for months and then he's like Dick's like you'll, you'll not be in the first team for what, for what happened Hi guys, I'd just like to take a, a minute to talk to you about NordVPN, which is a company that I use their services. I use it majority of the time when I'm traveling abroad, when I want to uh, keep up to date with the programs I'm watching at the time, or more importantly to me, um, the sports that I want to watch when I'm abroad. So it doesn't matter where I am in the world, I can still watch the channels and the games and the sports that I want to. It also gives me security and some privacy that I'm looking for when I'm browsing the internet. They've got an exclusive huge discount available to viewers of the podcast and they'll give you an additional four months free on top of whichever package you go on if you use our, our code. To get that, plus a 30-day no-quibble uh, money-back guarantee, all you need to do is log on to nordvpn.com backslash Craig, C-R-A-I-G, and that'll get you 
the exclusive discount plus the four months free on top of whichever package you go for. So go and give them a look, guys, and certainly I've had no problem using them in the times I'm travelling abroad when I mostly use them. Thank you very much. I say I was just lucky that he, he went through a wee bad spell and had to leave. Left. But in, in, in between that conversation and him leaving, there would have been suspensions, there would have been injuries, and there was, was just nothing, no getting near it at all. No, just reserve games. Uh, not, no, no anywhere near the first team. Uh, and at that, he'd done the same thing to Charlie Mullen, Dan McInnes, they were playing first team. And then they put them down to the reserves and they weren't involved with the first team either. I think Derek got back in for one of the games. He came back in for a Champions League game, I think, done well. And then played a couple of games and then was back out again. But that, that's just the way he was. And you, you just think the time that's that, my Rangers career's over here. Yep. And then it was coming up to it was coming up to like Christmas. And I can remember my agent saying to me, look, there's Wolves are interested in taking you on loan. Uh, who else was it? Ipswich, QPR, I think. Uh, at that time, thing was the manager of QPR. Really? No. Uh, was it Haley? No. Wilkins. Might, might have been Haley, but it was Wilkins ah, with him. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I just Ray, Ray Wilkins was there anyway, because uh, it was him that, that said, can we, can we take him on loan? I was like, I would shit myself, because obviously I've never been away from home. Mm. And uh, just when I was ready to say, I, I want to go, then that's when Dick left. Or he never left, he went upstairs. Mm. And then Alec came in, and there was injuries. In the first couple of weeks, I was in the first team. And then I- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I run a, run a game still end this season and then sign the new contract. So was your contract just a year ago at that point? Yeah, I, my contract was up at the end of the season. So, some change of fortune, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, going for that, you know, you never play again. You are getting loan, your contract's up in about six, seven months, and you're thinking this is the end of the journey. And then, what's your head like at that point? Well, I never, see, to be honest, I never really thought too much about it because I was, I didn't really want to think about it because mm. I, I, that's what I wanted to be. But, uh, and it's, it's no nice to say, but I was glad that. Dick had a, a shit spell because then obviously got me back in my opportunity. But uh, I don't 
people say to me, do you hate Dick Advocate because of what he'd done? I, I don't hate him because he was a great coach. He gave me my chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my fault for what happened. But I thought he could have been because I was younger. I was only, I was probably only still 18 at that point. He could have maybe took me to the side and says, look, you're not near the first team, but try and build yourself back and get back in about it. And I've just, it was a point blank, no issue. So I had, luckily enough, because of the experiences through Bomber and all that, I had that bit about me that I was like, I just don't need to knuckle down and, and play with the reserves and do well there. And then if I need to move, then I need to move. Incredible. So what was Alec like as a uh, breath of fresh air for you? Uh, what was the t- training and stuff like that? Training didn't really change much because Jan Vilters was there, so he, he, he used to take all the training. Uh, the difference between both of the managers was Dick was hands-on. He used to take part of the training, whereas Big Alec would just stand at the side and watch and then step in if he seen something they didn't like or step in if he wanted to see something to work on. But no, he was good for me, encouraging. Uh, just told me to get my head done and I think it was like maybe eight or nine games left. I think I played seven in So he's like, it's up to you. Basically, you've got, because Craig Muir got injured. And uh, he's like, it's up, it's up to you to go and uh, get a new contract. And when did they tell you you're, you're going to renew your contract? Did they wait to the, the, the summer or did you have that no, conversation? Well, actually, it wasn't. I think I went away and I, I don't know if they're all still the same, but I know that if you've come through the, like the, the ranks or the system, uh, they kind of just, release you or they, they couldn't just release you they had to at least give you training facilities until you got something else or whatever so I, I still hadn't signed my contract when I went back for pre-season but they'd, they'd offered me one but I hadn't signed it and uh, was that a wee bit more than £62.50 yeah, it was a wee bit more than that but uh, no much <laughs> uh, but I can remember like going away in my summer holidays and at this point Kevin Muscat and that were signing and uh, my agent's phoning me and saying, look, there's, I think there was a team in Italy that was interested. And I'm like, oh, but it wasn't, it was like, came out, it was like Kevo or something. And I'm like, can I go there and don't speak the language, don't do this. Uh, and then it was getting closer to going back to pre-season and not, nothing was happening yet. And then the officer said to me, look, the contract's here for you. It's up to you if you sign it or not. And I think after about maybe two or three days of pre-season, I signed it. And uh, what was, how long was that one for? Uh, I think that it was, that one might have just been a year, mm-hmm. a year's contract. And then I signed, I think maybe only six months into that season, I signed another two years. And then another year, I signed another like two years, but yeah. it was like it wasn't. A, it was the same contract length, but it was just my money went up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it used to be brilliant because the chairman used to come in and he'd go, "That like, fuck's sake, Bob, are you still here?" <laughs> <laughs> Fuck sake! <laughs> uh, but he was brilliant. He used to, stay, he, he even did the mad run with the board players like that. He would, he would rip the piss at them, and uh, they, then they could really send him. I did. A lot of influence in the club for a long time. You got to give him his place. Aye, uh, it, it did. To be fair, and I know, I know that. A lot of fans and a lot of people have given pebbles, but for me, he was he was he was great with me. And to be fair, he was one of the only ones when I left the club. He was one of the only ones that sent me a voicemail saying, "Listen, appreciate everything you've done, uh, trophies that you won for the club and that." So mm-hmm. go away and get stuck in, and maybe see you back one day. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think um, Sir David Murray, because of what happened at the end of his tenure with, you know, selling it for a pound to Craig White and then had money within a year and all that stuff, um, I can understand why mm-hmm. he, some people is tainted his, his opinion. And somebody asked me about it one day, what was my thoughts? And I said, look, see for everything that you think he might have done bad, but he gave us nine in a row. He gave us Loudrop, he gave us Gaza. Um, and I'm not sure now that the Rangers revolution did start before him. A lot of people think he came and then soon as came and then mm-hmm. the world changed for Rangers. It didn't quite work that way. It was David Holmes that started it, getting Graham Souness in, and then um, Sir David Murray came a wee bit after that and I think took it to another level, to be fair. Um, so, you know, I think you've all, you, you can't, I think there's a big grey area what happened when Rangers got sold yeah. in 2011, which led to the admin in 2012. But you've always got to think, what if he didn't come at start? And, you know, look at the tenure he had and the things that we, you know, we all witnessed as fans before you were lucky enough to play for the club, you were a fan of the club. Um, and, you know, he gave us a lot of that. So I, I'm not saying that he's, he shouldn't, people shouldn't question what happened with the pound and duped and all that sort of stuff. But I think to just concentrate on that is a wee bit disingenuous, not only to David Murray, but also to that time in Rangers history. Things were different then. I mean, oh, they were spoiled. Totally different. Totally, and, you're, and you've got to remember as well. It was that was the time when you don't. It was a free fall rule. That's right. So it, was yeah. Scott, it was mostly Scottish players, and he built built up, built the stadium. Uh, listen, we were talking about this last night as well. See what you think about Man City and the City Group and all this. I've got three or four different clubs all the world. David Murray seen that thirty years ago mm-hmm. and tried to try to do it like Northern Spirit. Yeah. Tried to do it in different countries because he knew how big Rangers were. And had fans all the world, but obviously it never worked out the way that these clubs have worked out. But he had that vision years ago to do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely think I know I know what you're saying about the what happened at the end. It's obviously a, a grey area for for fans and stuff in, in the club. But uh, what he done for the club at the start and putting in what he put in, and I don't think you can knock him for that. And was he quite hands on? Yeah, no, no hands on. He was at. Every most of the home games, and he would come in. He'd come into training. He's just a normal guy. I know he had a, f- a few quid, but and t- people like me, guys like me, we would we would try to fucking hide in the corridor for him because he was shitting myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? In case he said something, but uh, he was just a normal guy. He'd laugh and a joke, and and it was just, obviously he's not got any legs, so it's it's strange, and you you're, you don't really know what to say to him. In case you say the wrong thing, but no, he was he was bang on, he was brilliant. Aye, no, no, fair play. So um I Alex came, is it fair to say he's sort of say we your career, but your career at that point's only what three, four games old. Um yes. so it was almost didn't start. Um and he's reignited that. Um and what was what was Alex teams like at the time? He he got the he he took over a, a great squad at Dick had the boards, Avaladzis, uh, players like Big Ammo, Craig Moore, Fergie, Arthur Newman, all, the, all these guys were still there. But he just came in and gave them a, a different belief, basically. Uh, gave them a, a, a rain, at least a life to go and play again. But you've got, at that time, Celtic had a right good team as well. Yeah. Uh, and it was, we would win the league one year, they would win it the next, we would win it, they would win it. And then Alec came in, he won it, or he never won it the first year, he won the double the first year. Uh, I think he won both cups, didn't he? And then won the treble the next year. 
and then Gordon Stratton came, and then he won it, and then Alec won it again. So the, the squads at that time, there was nothing, nothing between them. And in your uh, advocate three or four games, did you play against Celtic in any of them? I did. I played my first start was against Celtic in the, the cup semi final. What's that like? What's that experience <laughs> like for you? Well, that was that was a weird one because uh, I remember we stayed at the Crawland Hotel up in East Bride. And uh, obviously, you're not thinking you're playing. Or you're, I think I don't know if there was still a rule at that point. I know that there was a there was a lot of injuries uh, in a certain half position, and uh, I can remember we stayed overnight in the Crowland, and it was a nighttime game. And uh, my dad phoned me about two o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, "To me, good luck tonight. Uh, get stuck in." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "You're playing." And I'm like, "What?" How, how, the, how do you know? Right. And he's like, I've just spoke to Big Andy Smiley. He says, Shut up. He said, you're playing. <laughs> and I went, you're kidding me on. So I was, I thought it was a wind-up. So I goes back to my room. And to be fair, 20 minutes later, my phone goes, Dick Advocate, come to my room and he speak to you. And uh, he's like to me, when I take the back tonight, you're, you're playing the middle one. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're, you're playing the middle centre-half. And then that, that was it. Well, I'm, I'm glad he told me when he did rather than the night before because then that means you, you don't sleep you start thinking about things too much yeah. and you realize. yeah it's amazing isn't it it's a, it's a league cup semi-final yeah. the biggest rivals massive game mm-hmm. and we've not done any shaping or anything before it where you've been put in this well, position we never see the good thing about Dick he used to work on 11 v 11s all the time yeah. so we had worked on it but just no no like maybe me starting or whatever but Done maybe the, the opposite team that was playing with like in a back three or whatever. And I think I, I think that night it was me, Big Scott Wilson and Bert Conman was the back three. I think Big Ammo was injured, and uh, to be and we played Celtic in the league maybe a, a week or two later as well. And it was basically the same team. We had to go to Parkhead with like a squad that was like all younger ones, guys that weren't really playing much. And uh, we managed to get a one each draw. We get beaten in the League Cup game. I made a mistake. That was a game that Larson uh, hanged over Stefan. Uh, and I think mate, was it Mickey Moles or Claude Arena gets sent off. I think they, they beat us 2-1. Uh, but what an experience. And actually, actually in the game, apart from the mistake that I made, I'd, I'd done all right. And then I think that they had that wee bit of trust in me that I could, they could throw me in. But then obviously in the summer, I, I messed it up. So, just thinking here, so you only played three or four games for Dick and two of them were against Celtic? Aye. aye. <laughs> That's no bad corner. But that, that was the, probably at that time, the League, the league Cup was, that was the only thing we could really play for against Celtic were a, a few points ahead of us at that time. Uh, and that was kind of with the getting to the end for Dick. So, and that would have been at mm-hmm. So, I mean, what's that like? Had you played at Hamden before then? No, you only played schoolboys or you know, just, part of any bad cup finals as a youth or anything. No, just straight in. Uh, like, there would have been no dress rooms not then as well. Uh, I know it may have, may have been the, like the would have been done up against since, but it was a, it would have been just when it had been done up. Yeah. So yeah, it was what an experience, especially if, it was a full the full thing. It was my dad phoning me and saying good luck. Now I was like, and then obviously I actually was playing. And it just shows you that people knew before anybody else what the team was going to be. Big Andy Pickett team, man. So I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how he knew. I don't know. But uh, that, that's how it happened. And I was, I was like, oh, fuck's sake. But aye. 
So you're 17, 18 at this point. You don't know until hours before it you're playing. You're playing against Celtic. You're walking out to Hamden for the first time. What's that like walking out the tunnel that night? You can't hear it. You're concentrating in the game and then like you line up and then obviously all the Rangers fans are saying all the Celtic fans. So it's like a big rabble. And uh, but see when you're, see when you're like lining up and you're concentrating in the game, you can't hear everything about And then the worst thing is, like obviously they do the huddle. And then that's when you like you start feeling fucking blood starting to boil, and all the Rangers fans are going after them not. And then that's how after that game I used to turn away. See, when they used to do it, I used to turn my back and look at the fans because I didn't I didn't want to see that because I knew that if I was too too like my emotions got yeah. better than me, I would do something stupid, like I'd tackle or something. So I used to look away so that I never got too wound up. And the game itself, um, do you feel the pressure during that, or is it? Or, or can you can you just disassociate yourself once it, where the whistle goes and the game starts. Well, I, I can remember having the old like shaky legs and like you know like the energy zapped for you for the first like five minutes. I don't know something happened in the game where uh, I don't know if the big Scotty Wilson passed the ball to me and I went to kind of a as if I was going to play it back to the goalie and I I dummied it and like Chris Sutton ran past me and I just thought I, I got confidence for that mm-hmm. and I just got into the game. But no, it was. It's, it was a strange feeling because I remember going to Parkhead as well and even though they're singing all their songs and whatever, you, you just manage to blank out and you can't, you can't really hear much. It's something that, I, I don't want to say it's diluted because it's still a big game, right? It's an amazing spectacle. But see, when you go to Hamden, I mean, even back then, when we went to Parkhead, we might get 8,000 tickets. They get everyone on road when they came to us, so they had maybe 7,500 at the time. And it was nuts, Right. And then you would go to that game and it was 50 50. I just think when, when we play Celtic at Hamden, I think a lot of stadiums know near mm-hmm. Ibrox and to be fair, probably even more than Celtic Stadium. I think it just turns the whole thing up a notch because it's a 50 50 yeah. thing. Um, and I think a wee bit of that's been diluted because. You know, the last while there was like seven and eight hundred fans in each and new, you know, the odd one where there's none. What, what do you think about that? Do you think it should be more or do you think it's all right the way it is? You know, as a player, what do you, you know? As a player, you, you want you want your fans there. You want, like, when you've got 8,000 fans at Parkhead, you want them there because they help. They, they do help. If you're having a hard game or not, not so much as like a player yourself as a team, they, they can get you through it. Like, if, they, if you do something good as a team, you hear them all cheering, and it gives you a lift. Uh, and it would have been the same for them coming to Ibrox, but I can understand why they've done it, because obviously they get the full stand at Ibrox, we get put in a wee corner. Uh, I can understand why the club done it, but as a player, you want you want the fans there. It's no, it's no... Had you ever played in a, a game where there was no um, visiting fans? Is that something that you'd, you'd come across in your career? I've played in a game where there was no fans. What was that? And in Milan, Champions League. Another, another player that was on the bench. It was only hospitality fans, so Rangers could bring their like their flight load of hospitality. Uh, and the same went to Milan, it was their hospitality, but there was no fans in the ground. How bizarre was that? It's mental because you could hear it. Everything. There's, I've got Viakis, now, Viakis ah, for Hamilton. Ah. He's, he's in the stand and he shouted to me, Oh, be a banger! <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear it echoing through the stadium. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, brilliant, man. Uh, it was ah, it was weird, weird as in. 
didn't they? It was a flat game as well. It was near. I think they beat us one 0 but it was like flat. There was no really any tempo to the game or anything. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a weird one. Through your your European um, exploits, what's this the biggest games you can remember through European nights? I can remember my, my first night going to. I knew I was at games before this, right? But I did, I couldn't really remember them because I was too young. But I can remember going to the Leeds. Rangers game at Ibrooks. That was my first game that I could remember being at. Uh, my dad's pal took me. And uh, the atmosphere was unbelievable. And then, like, the best one to be part of playing in was like, the Inter Milan game at home. Mm-hmm. And they, they qualify for the, the knockout stage. Just the full, the full build up to that, the having to wait at the end for a couple of minutes to see what was happening in the other game. Right. And then getting told that the game was done and you're through. Uh, it, was, it was an un- unbelievable feeling. And Saying that, but that was when, like, the fans were right behind us, and they were, they were brilliant. The way you see that was here as in the European games, but it's electric. It was like that back then, and it was, it was great to be a party. Andy up in hospital that night. I was in, I was working in uh, London at the time, Monday to Friday. I was raging, man, because what a season to miss European games. I was obviously up the road on a Friday night, and I was able to go to the games at the weekend. So I spent that um, Champions League campaign watching it in the uh, Cock Tavern in London, which was underground at the Smithfield market. And uh, we're obviously watching the Rangers game. And game's done in the juicy. There was a, a bit of a, a, a media. And Porto. Porto game still playing. And so we don't know if we're qualified or not. And uh, there was three or four years in the pub. Like a mental pub. Mobbed. And... Um, Phoning pals who are sitting in the house watching Sky, they're flicked out to tell them, oh, you're going to park, you're going to park, like, just shit, you're going to park, right? So there's three or four guys spread out in it, and I'm one of them, and I've got a corner, shit, I've got a corner, right? <laughs> mad. And the minute, I sat through, right? And I jumped up in there, and somebody sitting here must have moved their chair, and as my feet took off the ground, the chair legs went like that, and I came down, oh. and my ankle turned, I almost seen the sole of my foot, but I was steaming. And I went back to my digs uh, south side of London and uh, and uh, woke up in the morning, went to go to bed, ended up in the flare. <laughs> Forgot you had done it? Aye. And uh, it was that size. So I remember that game well, and unfortunately, uh, I didn't get to any of the uh, European games that because of um, circumstance, but uh, what a great um, great achievement. We should, um, we should have actually went further because we should have beat Valeria as well. We actually let them back into the game at Ibrox. And then Boyd, they must have a chance close to the end that would have put us through. But I think when you're, the teams that we played that that season, Porto, even they go to the group stage, Porto and Milan, even Armida, I think we, we struggled against them when we played them. I think uh, they battered Celtic, was that just a year before? Or? I can't remember. I can remember going to play them away, Bratislava, and it was oh, wild, mental. Uh, Freezing as well, and I think, I think, I think we got, I'm sure we got a draw that night, and uh, that's what kind of serves up for the Milan game at home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, oh, your European game, I mean, you played, you mentioned some of them, Inter Milan's, um, Porto, Villarreal. Who else did you play against in your European ventures? Uh, I played the Copenhagen game when we qualified Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came on, uh, I came on the second half, some Heringberg maybe got injured. And uh, get put into that game. That wasn't a nice game to get put into because we were struggling. 
and we ended up shot Avila just scored an overhead kick and uh, we got a lift and then they scored and then we had to score again but that was at the club at that time nobody really knew what was happening because that was when Barry was getting told he was leaving or, or he was didn't play in that game because he was meant to be going to uh, Blackburn the next day or two so <clears throat> the boys went out he was also the captain so it was a, it was a strange feeling where he wasn't there but they, they pulled through it was a, that was a proper good good squad that and you and Barry obviously have done a lot together in your life later on you know man, and managing and coaching and stuff like that but when did you become pals? Yeah, it was a weird one because I don't I mean, used to play in the Glasgow Cup <clears throat> so you think you were allowed two overage players and Fergie played in it sometimes so he, he would come down and play with us even though he was part of like, what was first team in that and the reserve team and uh, he obviously he's Hamill and I was Glasgow and uh, my, how it really hanged me as I heard Derek mention it as well he's a, his dad was a, a roofer, roofer. Oh, yeah. and my dad used to uh, he wasn't he's not a roofer but he used to hang labour to them mm-hmm. and uh, he got to know Barry's dad he was on Seriously, jobs yeah. and then obviously he's they've mentioned it and he's went oh my son's there as well and then so got got to know him like that he would pick Barry would pick me up some of the days to go to training. Uh, <clears throat> just got to be pals that way. And then obviously, I, when I got, he was in the first team, then I came into the first team. So. What's the age difference between the two of you? Uh, must be maybe four years or something. Is it much as that? Uh, sure, it's uh, sure he's, uh, maybe three or four years, I So, um, you won some trophies. Two two titles, two cups, is that right? So I won one two under Dick. No, I didn't need to play much. Uh, and I went to under Alec. And when you, I mean, I, I can obviously only speak from my own experiences and um, won some trophies when I was a kid, you know, playing football and fortunate enough to win some trophies with Sons of Truth. And it's, it's a great feeling, but, and I've obviously witnessed Rangers winning loads of trophies during my time and very, very fortunate. What's it like in the part when you win a league and that whistle goes? The both leagues I won under the Alec were, were both in the last day of the season, so it was it was more emotion than anything else. Just glad to go over the line. Uh, it's a real experience. I, I think that the Dunfermline won at home. Yeah, we were expected to battle them. Uh, <clears throat> I guess Sutton says it was planned. Oh, I know, but <laughs> I'm sure it was planned that Comanlock they get they get a doing as well. But listen, it was there they missed the penalty, so they can't blame them about themselves. Uh, we, we knew that we had to, there was a job had to get done in a, and some fellas scored first that game as well we were getting beat one now so, that's bizarre isn't it mm-hmm. and then and it was weird because even when the players were scoring they weren't, they weren't celebrating they were just grabbing the ball and back and did another one. And was it six or seven you know, six incredible and it came down to a penalty with Mikel Arteta oh, of course aye. Uh, and that was maybe the last couple of minutes of the game three four minutes of the game and to be fair for a kid, because he's he's maybe a, a, I think he's maybe a year younger than me, or the same age. So put that pressure on yourself to go on. Even on a no bad career. <laughs> no, still doing all right in <laughs> uh, but to have that pressure on him, step up and, and slot it away and as if it was he did it every day, it was it was crazy. Uh, but no, nah, it was it was mental. But the the, the Hibs one, I think but there was a feeling that we weren't going to do it that day. No, you, we, no one, we knew we'd won the game, but we didn't think it was going to be enough to like uh, win the league. And obviously the, the things that happened in the Motherwell game was incredible. And 
still think about it, still seeing like Davy in the dock and obviously big Billy Thompson's not here now. But uh, they were we were in the dugout and he's jumping and got that Motherwell scored and you're like fuck off Tom. He's like, I'm fucking telling you. He's like, they've no scored. He's like, they have and then the next minute the Rangers interrupted. Aye. And you're like, fucking hell they have. And uh, he done it again. He's like, they've scored again. Aye. You're like, ah, you're right. Then the next minute they've erupted again. I've never seen it. I, I don't know if you if, if you see it in the videos. We still had five minutes to play, but Hibs were Hibs were in Europe. Mm. If, they, if the result results stayed the same, Hibs were in Europe and we had won the league. So they weren't the interested in going forward. We weren't the interested. We were just trying to keep the ball. And you've got Alec Ray running on jumping on Barry's back. I joined the game. Joined the game, <laughs> and they're, they're like celebrating as if it's, it's done. And you see Fair go, oh, no, you need, we need to keep going. <laughs> or was it Fair game? Maybe I've jumped on Alec Ray's back. Uh, you know, that was still five minutes to go. But it was mental, mental. And then obviously the, the full time. Because we never had, we were in the other tracksuits. Didn't, weren't expecting anything. But luckily, Jimmy Bell was clued up. We had the t-shirts and all that already in our box under the Did bus. you not know about that? No. Never knew. He went, he'd done it all himself. Went and uh, pulled the, into the, into the bus, pulled the, the box out. He's got all t-shirts. So then we've got the t-shirts, went back out onto the, Got the trophy and celebrate in front of the fans, but never, never knew. I, I think they were, well, certainly second favourites in a two-horse race um, coming into the end of that season. And although as a fan, you always want your team to win. I, I'm the same as you. I did. I just thought, can't happen. Can't happen. You wanted it to happen. There's no, but deep inside, you thought this isn't happening. Yeah. And uh, I went and cut the grass that day. And I had motor park to drive. I winded in. The, the radio one. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I can't believe I can't do this. And the boy next door to me at the time, his um, father-in-law was um, an old Celtic goalie. Um, for Blantyre's terrible. John Fallon. Mad Celtic family, right? And I'm like, I know what's happening at 5.45 and this final whistle <laughs> goes, right? Um, and I, I just remember hearing the radio. I went, And the commentary that they gave on the radio was almost identical minutes later when me and McDonald scored the second goal. It was like in the ball coming yeah. McDonald's ahead of right? And I'm like, ah, why is the radio playing repeat? They don't have to tell you, you'll see yeah. a repeat of a goal, but I'm thinking. And it took a couple up to it, it's it's sunk in. And by God, man, I couldn't believe it. And then I've ran in the house, I've just jumped about mad. But to be there, see, see that full day, Craig, it was like obviously gone because normally we would. I can't even remember if we stayed overnight. Normally, if we played Tibbs and Hearts, we would go and stay overnight. But I, I don't even think we did. I think we travelled on the day of the game. Uh, obviously, with tracksuits, like a big occasion like that, we would have the club suit on. We had our tracksuits on. Uh, and then, after games, games like that, there would have been a big spread put on where your family and that can come back. And we, after the game, we were on the bus back to Ibrox. We'd done a two, well, saying that, sorry, before. They didn't know if they were going to let the fans in. Yep. And then there was that many outside that they had to let them in. So they, they said, right, we're going to give you maybe an hour or something, let the fans come, let them fill the stadium. So we were sitting in the Thorn Suite. Everybody was starving, had nothing to eat. <laughs> they had a, they had been drinking on the way back in the bus. Uh, so they had to send one of the security guards to McDonald's. Oh, yeah. And I swear to God, they came back with like 25 Big Mac meals or chicken meals. And that's Helicopter Sundays. That's what the was eating, <laughs> mental. And when you tell people, ah, oh, good one. Well, I'm telling you that's what happened.
I really appreciate the hours that some of you are investing into watching the podcast that we've done in the past. But I'd like to ask you to do me one favour that would take you seconds. If you enjoy the show, please hit the subscribe button. And if you enjoy any show in particular, please click on the thumbs up. It'll make a massive difference to the podcast. So thanks very much for your continued support, feedback, and I hope you enjoy this one.